Hi there, everybody. Good afternoon. I hope everybody's doing great on this Easter Monday, Easter Monday. day after Easter. Mm -hmm. You know, I was asked last week in one of my classes, maybe it was after Tuesday, you know, kind of like, well, it's called Easter Monday. So what like happens on Monday? And, you know, in the Bible, nothing that I'm aware of is happening on Monday. But I think Peter gets up that morning and wonders why, you know, grandma and everybody else is still on the ground. Right? Because the Jews expected every to be everybody to be resurrected at the same time. Yes. So Jesus was, where's everybody else? Right. And so it begins. Anyway, very good. I'm glad that so many people are signing in today on this Monday. Um so wow, wasn't Easter service? We were in the nine o'clock yesterday. I, I I was liturgist, one of the liturgists at nine o'clock, and um we just uh so that was when we attended with family and then went went out for brunch afterwards. But wow, it's such a powerful moment. My favorite moment in the entire Christian year is the opening hymn on Easter morning. Wow. That I wow. just I just get I it just I'm deeply, deeply moved by that. And then the sanctuary was packed and the choir was fantastic and and was quite a day and we really had um year to year in-person attendance during holy week was up 26 percent that's a lot monday thursday in-person attendance doubled wow from year to year wow that is amazing it is so you know there god's doing something god is God, I'm telling you, God is doing something at St. Andrew, and I hope a lot of other places. But we are we are a growing we are a growing Methodist church, and there aren't many. No. There aren't many, and we are we're growing, and people are coming, and it was it was quite a morning. So what what do you have to add today, Patty? I'm talking too much. I told Scott I was watching him um, from where I was sitting, and when that first opening hymn came on, Scott continued to sing, but he turned around and faced the entire congregation from the floor, and I told him it looked like he was the person who steps into an elevator and the door closes and yeah, he turns well, around. Yeah, well, I couldn't help it. I was so excited, and, and I reached over and squeezed Arthur's arm, and I know all the words, so I just kept, I just kept going. I'm. And it was Hopefully wonderful. the people in the pew behind me gave me a little grace and they saw how much joy was, coming was on my face. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and also, how about that other hymn where that newish, newish fellow to our... Jimmy Robertson? Oh, my goodness. With the choir doing that, you know, like a, 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 Ain't No Time gospel. to Die. Yeah, gospel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the old spiritual. I mean, that was... Wow. And the Hallelujah Chorus and is hallelujah chorus. perfect. But, so. you know, Jimmy was really good, but the choir was, the they choir was amazing. Yes, it, it all was. It, it all was really just, was. just wonderful. Just wonderful. So, anyway, wow. And so. then, sadly, I wake up this morning and there's news of another shooting on Easter yeah. Monday. And it, See, you can wake this... up every Monday morning, and of course, there's shootings every weekend. Every weekend. Around here yes. in this Not country. In this Not country. here. Yeah. Sometimes here, but yeah. it's just, you know, and other, yeah, it's a, it, it's, 
It's a world in need of God and much else. It is. It so is. So it really is. So Right before um, class started, I saw a little clip from the governor of Kentucky and um, a, definitely a young man of deep faith. Um, it, it, you know, when he was asking people to pray, you could tell this was this was part of his everyday life. Right. That he was a... a how could I say the word? A serious Christian? Somebody who goes to church maybe quite often, prays all the time. Um, and also the governor lost his best friend this morning in that shooting. And, you know, that's something we just don't ever hear of. He, he mentioned that it was a place where he held uh, part of his campaign in that building. And that was his bank and his bankers. And so yeah. it's, we just have to be so so grateful for the time we have with our family and friends as people always say and just remember every time you see them to tell them that you love them and right and talk to uh talk to anybody who as paul would say is in a place maybe to hear you to talk to them about jesus exactly somebody who is at a calm um i can't remember his exact words but it's Basically, don't approach anybody who's in a grumpy, crabby mood because they're not going to be open to you. Right. But that guy. We had that evangelist here at the church one time, this is what, 20 years ago. Yes. And he said, look for the persons of peace. Look for the persons of peace. And, um, and God has gotten ready to hear the word. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So I kind of wonder today we're going to come to Jesus going down the seashore, looking at people, working, and he picks, he picks certain people. So maybe yeah. they're persons of peace. And I'm just looking at a few of the people that I see with us today. And I know quite a few of you have walked along that seashore. Yeah, You've walked around the Sea of Galilee. You know, you've put your feet in the water. You've picked up stones out of it. And it's just very concrete. Right. Very concrete. I think you better open us in prayer. I'll just okay. keep on Keep oh, on going, huh? Mm -hmm. well, that's all right. Okay, well, let's do that then. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be back on this Monday to resume our journey through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we pray, as we do every time we gather, that your Spirit would fill us with wisdom and discernment and energy here. Um, help us to hear Mark well. Help us to connect with these paragraphs and words in such a way that um, this 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 time with the gospel deepens our discipleship. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Miss Patty's going to go around and make a small camera adjustment here. So we are in the Gospel of Mark. I still have this title slide. So boom, there it is, the Gospel of Mark, right? That's what we're doing, short. 15 chapters, but being short, we can really, you know, we can we can really take our time and, and be careful and attentive. Attentive is the word to what we are reading. And last week, um, you will recall that um, we had Mark's introduction, which was very brief. There is no... There is, no Chris, there is no Christmas story. He just sort of says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, and then gives us the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptizer going out in the wilderness, calling people to the Jordan River, and Jesus being baptized. And 
how Jesus is affirmed by God. You know, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. That is a message which in Mark's gospel, it's pretty clear it is only heard by Jesus. This is about God's affirmation for Jesus of his vocation. Um, and he will need, I'm sure that there were many times when he would look back on that moment to to fill him with confidence um, moving forward. So, then we, we came to Jesus' own pronouncement in verse 15. I told you it was, if you're going to pick a verse to memorize in Mark's gospel, this is a good one. When Jesus, this is, this is, this is what he announces. He announces that, you know, I told you last week, I memorized the NRSV, not the NIV. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Right? The time is fulfilled. It's happening right now. The kingdom of God, what they had been waiting for for so long, it's it's right here. It's come near. It's at hand. So repent, you know, turn away from your way and come embrace God's way and trust in the good news that Jesus is bringing. And the content of that good news is Jesus himself. It's good news about Jesus. It's good news. Um, it's not a long block of teaching about how you should live or something like that. That's not it. The good news is that in Jesus, God is finally stepping in to put things right. And that is absolutely the right perspective to bring to your New Testament. And yesterday was Easter. And Easter is the proof that God did just that. It's not, it's not the climax of the story. The climax of the story is really on Friday. It, 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 it is in Jesus' sacrificial death, his faithfulness, all the way to death, even death on a cross, that makes us right with God, puts us at one with God. But the resurrection, Easter, is the proof that it's so. That's why our truth claims that Arthur talked about in his sermons this weekend all revolve around the truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus, the material bodily resurrection with Jesus. But all that is to come. Here we are at the very beginning of Jesus's um, uh, ministry. So if you'll open your Bibles, Look at verse uh, 14. Why don't I just, I'll go back to connect it last week and this week. Verse 14, so after John was put in prison, this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, the plunger, thinking back to last week. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're going to see Jesus references to Jesus doing a lot of preaching and teaching and stuff. Um, and we're going to get often in Mark's gospel more of its character than the actual content. And so we're, we're, we will be left maybe wondering what the content is. I think the content is this announcement 
that what you have been waiting for so long, what we, the Jewish people, have been waiting for so long, it's happening. It's now. The time was fulfilled. Don't miss this. Be a part of this. Don't walk away from this. So, he announces, you know, he, he proclaims the good news of God himself, Jesus does, in verse 15. And then we move to the Sea of Galilee. And that's, I have a map here. Let's just place for a second. You, that's the Sea of Galilee. Is that small body of water up in Galilee in the north. It's about 27 miles long from the top to the bottom. Um, and it empties in to the Jordan River, which flows all the way down into the Dead Sea where the water is trapped because there is no outlet. That's what makes it the Dead Sea. The water just goes down there. It's got no place to go. Um, and as a consequence, it's ended up, and because it's so dang hot, um, it has a very, very high mineral content. So, um, this, this is a map of the Sea of Galilee. And... We'll make it simple, roughly, roughly speaking, the western side is Jewish, the eastern side is Gentile, okay? So if Jesus moves from the west side to the east side, he's moving from the Jewish side to the Gentile side. The arrow, the white arrow there is pointing to Capernaum, and Capernaum is the, um, I've got a few photographs from Capernaum later, but it is the, it is where Peter lives, and it will be Jesus' headquarters. And it's where he will gather his disciples. Most of them. Not all of them, but, but right at the beginning, especially all of them at the beginning. And um, the, a good reason that Jesus' ministry happens around the Sea of Galilee is you can sort of get around there. You can walk around the seashore. You can get in a boat and sail to another place on the Sea of Galilee. Um, you can sort of tell from this relief map that has all the brown in it. Once you leave the Sea of Galilee, it gets the terrain gets very difficult. I mean, walking from here to Nazareth, for example, you know, that would be a bit of a beating, really. Um, much, much more difficult than just sort of as the crow flies, if you were to look at it on a non-relief map. So go back to your Bibles, and I'll take down the map. I may use it again. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. Okay, there's the map again. So <laughs> it's up there between, it's probably up there around Tabga, Capernaum, that little area right there. And as Patty pointed out, um, many of you have been there, right? You can picture it. It probably resembles today what it looked like then. It was uh, there was much more of a fishing industry then than there is there now, but still, it's it's the Sea of Galilee and it kind of recedes and grows with you know droughts and rain and the rest of it. Well, verse sixteen, and with no we have no idea how this ties exactly to the time frame before, but it's probably not too long after. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. 
So the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, those are just different ways of referring to the same body of water. Okay, Casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, as many people were. It's a pretty good industry, and um, this is how they made their living. Um, if they owned a boat or two, we could call them sort of middle-class merchants and stuff, right, who would go out and collect fish and come back and and sell them. So this is something that Simon, a man named Simon and his brother Andrew do. And they're out there casting a net into the lake. They were, the, way the, the way this worked was the nets tended to be round, okay? And they would have stones around the outside edge and they would just fling that round, flat net into on the water and it would sink, right, but with the stones and it would trap fish and then they would haul it in. That's kind of the way it worked. So Jesus said to them, famously, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of people. I'll make you fishers of men in the old King James. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And what does Mark write next? At once, just at once, they left their nets and followed him. Do they have families? Yes. Later on, we will meet Peter's mother-in-law. So he's got family. Andrew's got, of course they have family. But they're ready to drop it all to follow Jesus. What is it about Jesus? That would cause them to do that. He hasn't made any promises to them. Um, they might not be sure who they're even looking at. <laughs> but there's something, right? All Mark. And remember, we, I really want to... Uh, uh, where I'm going to do this is by keeping us in Mark. I know the other Gospels have the things that they want to add to this and that, but we're going to just try to hear Mark's telling of this. So Jesus shows up, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So obviously if there's a message in that for Mark's readers back in the day. Are you ready to follow Jesus? If need be, are you ready to drop everything and follow Jesus? That's what the, that that's what Simon and his brother do. Simon and Andrew, they just okay, let's go. And they're going to leave the fishing business in the hands of I don't know family and friends and neighbors, and off the two of them are going to go with Jesus. So now Jesus has the beginnings of his of his disciples. His what do they call it now, Patty Posse? <laughs> right, <laughs> and at once, at once, they left their nets and followed him. Well, when he'd gone a little further up the seashore, right, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. So he sees two more men, James and John. They're the sons of a man called Zebedee, and. He saw them doing what? Preparing their nets. They were still on the shore. 
Um, presumably Simon and Andrew must have been a little bit off the shore because they, they were actually seemingly catching fish and, and Jesus called them in or something. But, but John and James, the sons of Zebedee, um, in a boat, preparing their nets, getting ready to throw. Without delay, he called them. Without delay, he called them. You see how Mark's orientation is? Boom, 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 boom. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I can picture Zebedee with his jaw dropping. Well, where are you going, guys? Sons, John, James, what are you doing? <laughs> there is work to be done. Why are you going after this guy? What's up? Nope, nope. So, don't both stories, aren't they basically equivalent stories? Simon and Andrew, yes. James and John. Mm -hmm. They're just doing their work. Jesus walks up to them. He calls them. And off they go. And of course, um, as I said, famously, Jesus says, come follow me. Right? To get the expanded statement, I will make you fish for people in... in um, in the story of, of Simon and Andrew. Okay, so that's it. That's the, Mark gives you, he doesn't give you nearly the kind of stuff that some of the other Gospels do. This, remember I said last week that, that you know, there are scholars, and I'm, I'm, I'm with them, that think this is basically Peter's eyewitness testimony. This is the story he told about Jesus and about himself and about the others. And um, you have to do that in a way that people will stay engaged in. And you can perform the Gospel of Mark in a little over an hour, about an hour and 15. We had a, an actor come to the church once to do it. He performed the Gospel of Mark. So it's really a lot of action, brief, and the story here boils down to what? That Jesus now has, he now has how many disciples? Yeah, he, he has Simon and Andrew, and he has James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And Simon and Andrew are brothers. And they're, they're Jesus' disciples. Okay? So any thoughts or questions about that? Now, is this little John the disciple that Jesus loved? No. He's a different John. Yes. Okay. It's a, and it's this is not James. There's another James sure. who will be who is the half brother of Jesus. Jesus. Right. Right. So this is not that. You know the thing about it, they just didn't have many names. They just didn't. They just didn't need many names. Nobody really went anywhere. Nobody had passports and social security accounts and all that kind of stuff. So. Like a first name in the village you're from is pretty much all anybody needed to keep to tell people apart. So anyway, the, these two are known as James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, verse 21. So they, who's the they? Probably the five. Right? Yes. They went to Capernaum. Which, given where Jesus probably was, because we know that Peter's home is in Capernaum, so we can probably figure Peter wasn't too far from home when 
when Jesus came up to them. So if they're just down a little further down the seashore, right? So they go on to Capernaum. And then when the Sabbath came, that would be a Saturday. Because Jewish Sabbath is on a Saturday. Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. Now I brought a few photos of synagogues. Okay? So this is the synagogue in Capernaum actually but all the white stone what comes from about 300 AD when I'm there when I take people there I make a joke I once thought it was funny about how they had a capital campaign to raise money to enlarge the synagogue and that's largely what you see but it's still built on the same plan of a rather simple rectangle um, with the roof held up by pillars but you see, if you look along the side, below the white stone, you'll see there's this much darker stone. That's the foundation of the synagogue that was there in Jesus' day. Here's another photo. The, ba it's, it, the stone is called basalt. It is what they made houses and stuff out of. There's so much of it around there because um, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea are... are they are where two tectonic plates meet. So long in the past, there was a great deal of volcanic activity around there. So a lot of the rock is volcanic that you find there. And that's what, that's what this is. Now, what did it actually look like with Jesus? Well, up near Nazareth, there's a little attraction called um, Nazareth Village in which they tried to recreate some things. And this is the synagogue they built there. Um, and it probably was something like this. It's going to be a nice, simple construction, local rock, um, not many trees, so it's not going to be built to use much wood, um, longer than wide, and on the inside, something like this. Pillars to support a roof, um, seating around three sides, perhaps. The women would not seat with the men, but that's that's pretty much it. If you have good eyes, you can see the roof, okay? The roofs tended to be made out of wood and um, reeds, things that would come out of the, the, the rushes along the seashore um, that would be laid at cross angles and with layers of dirt or mud and then more layers of wood or these um, I'm struggling for the word. Okay. Um, sticks. I'll go with sticks, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's how the roofs were made. So I'm going to plant that seed in your head because you're going to need to remember that. Probably not for today, but probably for next week. Okay? Mm -hmm. We'll talk more about it then. And, oops. I'm getting ahead of myself there. A little hint. All right. So. They went to Capernaum, and when the back to back to Mark one verse twenty one. They went to Capernaum. Should I explain the name Capernaum, Patty? Sure. Sure. It means it's Kafar Nahum, village of Nahum. It, one of our regular guides in in Israel is named well as. We call him Neo, but his name is actually Nahum. 
And so Capernaum is Kafarnahum, which we bring into English as Capernaum. There you go. That's it. Not too exciting, but now you know. So they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. Now, what is he teaching? You know, this is a place to pause and consider something. What is he teaching? Jesus, if you took if you take the gospel as a whole, it's very clear that Jesus is an apocalyptic prophet. In addition to everything else he is, he's an apocalyptic prophet. That he preaches, yes, the day of the Lord is arriving. Yes, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. So, repent and believe in the good news. Verse Chapter 1, verse 15. So, I'm betting, you, if I were a betting man, I would bet that that's what Jesus is talking about in the synagogue and saying to them, what you have been waiting for, what your fathers and grandfathers and great-grandmothers, what, the, what we, the Jews, have been waiting for for century after century after century, it's coming to pass. It's happening now. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, the teachers of the law are people like the Pharisees and scribes. And the, the way they would do this is they would look back at the traditions that the Jews had about how you interpreted Scripture. They would bring that forward and they would bring that to the present day and that would be what that they taught. It doesn't appear that's what Jesus does. He is doing something new. He isn't merely taking from the past and regurgitating it for a new day. He's taking it from the past and he's saying it's fulfilled and he begins to reshape it around himself. And he speaks with authority, which the Pharisees and scribes don't. One, because I think of the content of what he is saying, and number two, because of the way that he is saying it. The law of Moses is actually, who actually gave the law of Moses? God. God. In his own hand. In his own hand. And now, Jesus has come, speaking with authority as nobody else had. Something new is happening, something big, something important is happening. He is not like the others. Right? Jesus is unique in this. He's not like the Pharisees and the scribes. So, really, from the beginning, you could understand why the Pharisees and the scribes had big issues with Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Pharisees and scribes would go through town and they'd all be admired and everybody would sort of stand in awe of their learning and their understanding and their long robes and the way they carried themselves and yada, yada, yada. And here comes along Jesus and he amazes everybody. You're going to run across that word amazing I, well, if one of you gets industrious and wants to count it, that'll be great. But 
It's over and over in Mark's gospel that people are amazed. They're astounded. They've never seen anything like this. They're amazed. And who's left out of that amazement? Pharisees and scribes. So there's Jesus. He's teaching with authority. The people are amazed. They haven't seen or experienced anything like this or heard anything like this. And just then, verse 23, a man in their synagogue, presumably he wasn't welcome in the synagogue, I guess, but he's gotten in, who was possessed by an impure spirit. You may have a translation in front of you that says evil spirit. The word, it's impure, unclean, is, is probably the best way to see it. An, an unclean spirit, an impure spirit, who cries out, quote, this is the quote from this impure spirit from what? From where? From the other side of the veil, from the spirit among the spiritual forces of wickedness not called a demon here but that's the same idea what do you want with us 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 is the man possessed by more than one spirit is that what gives us the plural in the greek here probably not in this it the us is speaking for the entire demonic order of things, the, of the spiritual forces of wickedness, which oppose God, right? And so that's probably the right way to see this. What do you want with us, speaking for this evil spirit or impure spirit or unclean spirit and, and all the rest? What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? See? This, this larger setting in this confrontation between Jesus, who you and I know is, right? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. That's a big moment. I know who you are. The, not a, the Holy One of God. There are other people in the Old Testament that are called sons of God or holy ones of God or holy men or whatever. That, that's not this. This is the, the I'm going to call him a demon just to keep the language right. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You are the embodiment of God amidst God's people. For God is the Holy One. The Holy One of Israel is the way the Jews would talk about God. Praise be the Holy One of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. So, wow couple of things, right? Really, throughout the gospel, the disciples don't really get it about who Jesus is. And indeed, as we'll see in Mark, so much of the time he tells people not to tell anybody what happened. 
trying to keep what some have called the messianic secret about who is Jesus really, what's going on here. But this unclean spirit, this demon, knows who Jesus is. And they yet, always seem to, don't they, Scott? I mean, this is do. the first time in this they gospel do. something like And look this how is... early it is. Yes. Look how early it is in this telling of Jesus right. that the confrontation between Jesus and the powers of darkness is put right down there, right? So that's the us, us, us. Jesus and the powers of darkness. Direct confrontation. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God. You're the Holy One of God. So people ask me, when I start talking about people and salvation and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm often asked, well, you know, will there be people who will shake their fist at God all the way to the end? And I say, yes, there will be for reasons of pride and a hundred other reasons. And look at the demons. They know who Jesus is. They do not suffer from a lack of knowledge. <laughs> they suffer from a lack of will. They do not want to do God's bidding. They do not want to live in God's way. They do not want to embrace Jesus. They will indeed oppose Jesus. And I think that's a key, key part to pick up right here in this gospel. Because it's just easy to say, well, you know, everybody, once they, if everybody knew who Jesus was, you know, that all, that all love him. Mm -hmm. Nuh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. The... <laughs> The demons know, and Patty's right, there are stories just like this one. The demons know, but they they do not want to embrace Jesus, or I think, presumably, they already would have, right? Jesus has always been, is now, and always shall be. And these demons are not, you're not bound by uh, uh, flesh the way that you and I are. But this is a big, this is a big paragraph here, really. Um, sets the stage for a lot. It reminds us that when, when Jesus suffers death on the cross, it is his victory over sin, over death, and over the cosmic force, the spiritual forces of wickedness. Now, some of you use, that's an old baptismal phrase. The spiritual forces of wickedness who oppose God. And when you read commentaries, there are some written that want to talk about systemic wrongs and evil in this world because they don't want to they don't want to think that there's that there's a genuine spiritual dimension to these demons or evil spirits. And I was probably there once myself, but I'm not there anymore. I believe that the spiritual forces of wickedness are quite real. You know, in the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, he wrote, um, he wrote that, you know, one of the greatest tricks that the devil has had has been convincing people he doesn't exist. So, 
there's in in Mark really all the way through the New Testament revelation is all about this this confrontation between God and and the forces of darkness so anyway this is just a little taste of it what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God be quiet Jesus said sternly so he shuts the demon up come out of him and he commands the demon to come out of this man and the impure spirit shook the man violently it's not an easy out he shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek well a couple of things first of all everybody there you can bet is just flabbergasted now they live in a world in which they were in which exercise exorcisms this sort of thing was i'm not going to say normal but there were exorcists that would go around and make livings doing exorcisms because they don't have any explanations for a lot of the things that we now do a person suffering epilepsy well what what's going on with that well, that's an evil spirit, and so some exorcists would roll into town and claim to try to be able to help your son or daughter with this and go through these rituals and all these other things and take your money and go away and, oh, look, they're better. Of course, then they're not. So the mere fact of a demon coming out of somebody would not be nearly as shocking to these people as it would be to Plano residents in 2023, I think. But the way it happens, Jesus does it with merely a command. There's no fancy rituals. There's nothing. It's Jesus is the boss. He teaches with authority, and now he demonstrates his authority even over the demons, the unclean spirits, the impure spirits that 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 are just on the other side of the veil and plague the people. Jesus has authority even over them, because all he says is "Be quiet and come out," and the the spirit does violently and with a shriek. But the but the demon does. So, so what is this preparing you for in Mark's gospel? Oh, there's, there, there's, there's a lot to this Jesus guy, isn't there? Yes. There's a lot to this guy. Yeah, who is he? Who is he? Who is he? Right? Who is that man? It's kind of like, in, remember in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? They, would, they were being chased by a posse that was relentless. And so time and time again, Paul Newman and Robert Refford would say, who are those guys? Who are those guys? Who are these guys? <laughs> right? So, yeah, who is this Jesus? Uh, there was a, a big article this weekend in the Wall Street Journal drawing on the fact that we live in a world in which, you know, people seem very comfortable to create Jesuses that suit them. There, I think the title of it was like many Jesuses or something. And no, that isn't it. That's not what we're charged to do. You're not charged to figure out a Jesus 
that pleases you or makes sense to you, we strive to know the Jesus who is as best we can. And how can we do that? Can you do it by gathering your neighbors and sitting around and talk, having a beer? Can you do it by just kind of talking about, well, well, here's what I think Jesus would be like. No, you can only do it from the pages of Scripture. There's nowhere else to go. That's why when you lose the authority of Scripture, you've lost the whole game. You've lost the whole game because then, ah, Jesus, to me, Jesus is this. Somebody else says, well, to me, Jesus is this. Well, to me, Jesus is this. And I understand that every person is going to have a little different perspective on Jesus, but there's still only one Jesus. Only one that we should come to know better and better and will often not suit us. We, if we read Jesus well, he is often going to do things that we don't like very much, that we find threatening or confusing or just too difficult, like that rich young ruler came to see him and he says, I'm ready, Jesus. I'm ready. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And Jesus says, okay, so go sell everything you have and let's go. And the rich young ruler walks away disappointed and sad because he just won't. Jesus, Jesus didn't ask that of everybody. He didn't ask that of Zacchaeus, who had cheated many people over the course of his life. He did he knew he knew what that young rich young ruler would not let go of to his own ruin so okay be quiet come out of him jesus says so any thoughts or questions you got anything over there patty anybody want to type anything in there Nobody has yet. Uh, everybody out there types better than I do. I have to tell you. I, I can't even see the keyboard anymore. So, no? Okay. All right. Well, I'll just keep talking. All right. So, of course, look at 27. The people were also what? They, they were also amazed. amazed. That they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Of course they were stunned, shocked, all the rest of it. Verse 28, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Well, I bet it did. This is something to talk about. These are things nobody's seen before. I feel badly for Jesus sometimes because I, I think he tries to keep the lid on this as best he can to keep it from blowing off too soon. Um, but of course, how could somebody who sees such an encounter between Jesus and and this possessed man not be shaken by it, astounded by it. And then to hear Jesus come in and say, to come in and say, everything you've been waiting for is now coming to pass. 
the great day of the Lord is coming to pass. And it does. To go back to Easter yesterday, the resurrection is the evidence. The resurrection of the dead is part of the great day of the Lord. The resurrection of the dead began with Jesus. And the fact that we're there's a big time spread between him and the rest of us, that doesn't matter. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the harvest began with Jesus. So, news about Jesus is spreading everywhere. Well, as soon we go again. This is Mark. As soon as they left the synagogue, they didn't even stop for lunch. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John. Now that they, I think, would be Jesus, Andrew, and Simon. And now they're going to go with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So I, I, I think the right, the right way to read this is the five of them are doing their thing. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with the fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. Now, in the for these ancient people, a fever, suffering from a fever, was that suffering from some kind of um, uh, bacterial infection you picked up? It could be. It could be. What that? How, is that how they would think of it? I guess no, what, no, 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 no. They, would they wouldn't think, think of it. It which would yes, be, something. it would be, but it wouldn't be how they sure. think of it, right? Right. And or a viral infection or something. Right. So, so, so unclean spirits bring fevers. Right. I mean, these people need explanations for the things that happen to them in their lives, and they're not the same explanations that we have today because we have learned so much more about the nature of God's creation which is a good thing. It's a good thing that we have learned what we have. A lot of lives are saved. A lot of lives are extended and extended well because of what we have learned about the nature of God's creation. But in any event, Simon's mother-in-law, she's pretty sick. She's in bed with a fever. And so they tell Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her hand he helped her up, and the fever left her. And she began to make a big pot of spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> for everybody in the house. I just think that's just so, I just love that line. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. I mean, it's what she does, right? She's she's the mother-in-law. She's the, probably the matriarch of the of the household the matriarch of the family and so a the jewish grandmother a jewish grandmother so okay. she gets up and she starts cooking and and stuff yeah yeah the point being that jesus healed her doesn't say anything doesn't even say healed her right just says he went into her he took her hand and he helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them um, another thing we learn from this is that Simon is married, right? Yes. Which confirms something we learn in Paul's letters, that Simon is married, but 
Paul is not. So it, it isn't like being Jesus' disciples precludes marriage. It, there's no real reason for it, it to even be that way in the Catholic Church. The celibacy in the, among the priests in the Catholic Church is only about a thousand years old. And there are an increasing number of Catholic priests who are not celibate because they came in from, let's say you were an Episcopalian priest and you wanted to leave the Episcopal Church and, you know, become a part of the Roman Catholic Church, um, you would not have to give up your wife to do that. You could stay married and become a Roman Catholic priest. So, Scott, I don't know if you saw this. Lauren said, keep preaching it. <laughs> Only one Jesus and not individual Jesuses of our own making. Yeah. Blessedly. Yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. is true. It's a, it's it's a big change of perspective to see yourself not trying to divine a, a Jesus who suits you or you think is reasonable or you think, oh, he would have, I think he would have to be like this. No. Our job is to do the best we can to know Jesus as well as we can. The Jesus who is. And we can do a better job at that or we can do a poorer job at that. And we do that job together. We don't do it in isolation. We need one another to do that. I need Lauren. I need you guys. I need N.T. Wright. All of this, all of this should be oriented to the same goal of coming to know Jesus better. The Jesus who we, who is revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. So, well, verse 32. You can bet things are picking up steam now that evening. This is after, you know, I guess after the spaghetti's made. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Okay, that evening after sunset. So I think what that actually ties to is the fact that all this th stuff is happening on the Sabbath, right? Because mm -hmm. he's teaching on right. Mm -hmm. He's teaching on the Sabbath in verse um, twenty-one. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed. And then the man comes in who's possessed and Jesus cleanses him. Now news does spread, but it says as soon as they left the synagogue, they went over to Simon's house. And Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, so after the Sabbath is over, I can't think of another reason why the sunset would be noted unless all this has been in the same day. Yes. The people brought to Jesus all the sick and all the demon-possessed. Now, see, isn't that funny that, that they would think of it this way? There are people who are ill, and they have a lot of people who are... Just think about all of the mental... I'll just call them just, just the mental conditions that people have in our world... for which even now we don't really have enough explanations yeah. for. But think of it 2,000 years ago. They don't understand any of it. Epilepsy and all the rest of it. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, like homeless people that I have run into on the streets who are clearly just, to use an old word, just mad. It's 
like their mind is gone. I don't know who they're talking to. I don't know if they know who they're talking to. You know those things, things happened 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, when those things happened, it was, it was, it was demon possession. The possession of impure spirits. And so, and so the sick and the demon-possessed are expressions of things that are wrong. Things that should not exist as they are do exist in God's world. And Jesus, look at verse 33. So the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, and he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. The messianic secret in Mark. Jesus is keeping it quiet. And a lot of disagreements about why. I don't find it complicated. I think he's trying to keep the lid on what's happening so that he has time to accomplish what he feels he needs to accomplish in his ministry before his confrontation with the scribes, the Pharisees, and hence Rome comes to a head. But... But it's funny, you go back to just verse 28, where uh -huh. it says news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Because in, in a way, he's fighting a losing battle, isn't he? Yes. Which is the reason he stays out of the major cities. The only city of any consequence, real consequence, that he goes to in the Gospels is Jerusalem. He, he, there's no story in the Gospels of him, of him even going to Sepphoris. No. Or Tiberias. Nope. I think because he just... I think he just thinks it would all it would all come to a head way too fast. But in any event, so let's talk about a point here around these healings and the demons and all the rest of it in verses 32, 33, and 34. So... Jesus has come preaching, teaching what? He said himself, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's here, it's here, it's here. And then he begins to do these healings, and they will have a variety, a variety of healings. Simon's mother-in-law. The demon-possessed guy in the synagogue. It doesn't tell us any details about exactly what's wrong with these some of these folks that are brought to him, but he heals them. Are they merely acts of compassion? Are they supposed to help people see who Jesus is? Well, that can't be right because he doesn't appear to want people to have figured it out too fast. Maybe. What are they? Yes, Patty? Is it is it like without him saying that he's God, but he is showing them heaven, you know, uh, melding heaven and earth here on earth, showing they, them the yes. way heaven, the kingdom of God is going to be like? No I think sick. you're exactly on the right track. They are enactments of the kingdom of God right in the midst of everybody. So he, he somebody comes and who who can't who's crippled in one leg and Jesus heals them and the kingdom of god is enacted right there it's like it's it's like it's burst through right there because in the kingdom of god there are no 
to use biblical language, there are no lame, there are no blind, there are no deaf, right? The diseases are healed. There is no mourning. There are no tears. So all of these are enactments of the kingdom of God. So he isn't merely, he isn't merely preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He is demonstrating to it to people by allowing the kingdom of God to come bursting out in all of these moments, sort of like a, like a, uh, in my mind's eye, I see a bouquet of flowers that just, poof, it just bursts out. Just poof, it bursts out. And the lameness is gone. The disease is gone because in the kingdom of God, those things those things don't don't exist. So they're not merely asking for passion. They're definitely not signs to who Jesus is. That it they they are in John's gospel. That that's how he sees them. But not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are enactments of God's kingdom because that's what it's all about: is the arrival of God God's kingdom. It's here. The time is fulfilled. It's here. It's happening. Don't miss it. And you can hear it in Jesus' words, which he speaks with authority, and then you see it. And the other way that it's demonstrated is by his authority over the demons. Who has, does Caesar have authority over the demons? No. Could Julius Caesar order the demons out? Out of that man. Shut up and come out. <laughs> no. Jesus can. Jesus can. It's the sort of thing, I think, that after Jesus' death and resurrection, when the disciples began remembering Jesus, kind of looking back, you remember when he did this, and he did that, and he did this, and he did that, they realized that really from the beginning, he was establishing his bona fides, that he was not merely Messiah, that he's God. And we'll see that even when we get to Mark 2. Very early, very early on. For those who can see it, you, you can see that happening. Now, we have the benefit of all kinds of hindsight, and we have all of the New Testament and all the rest of it to help us with this. They do not, right? They're all just experiencing it. And now, 35 years after the fact, you know, John Mark is writing down Peter's story Peter's own preaching about this okay let's see okay so I have a couple of things here I how oh, can he many times back then older people died with the fever <laughs> you know it's yeah it's you know it's it's I, I think what I hear whole commenting on is the fact that it wasn't that long ago. We had words for things that I don't think people knew what they were like. What really was lumbago? What does that what does that map to in my doctor visits now? I don't know. They just died with the fever. Because even it's it's a it's a shocking thing to consider in 2023 that we are not yet. 200 years past 
the introduction of clean water. Because that, that's really the middle of the 19th century is when lots of clean water began to be available as a result of the Industrial Revolution. We are not yet to the 100th anniversary of penicillin. How's that for a shocker? Penicillin was discovered in 1927. We're not there yet. It's not 2027. I mean, a lot of the things that we take for granted about our world that make it very different from the ancient world, um, they're very recent. People who lived two and three hundred years ago had a lot more in common with these folks than they do with us in so many ways, so many ways. I remember I'd, I got to take a course um, at Harvard Business School with a very esteemed professor of business history who was really quite, quite famous and renowned, a very modest man. And he said, he said, things change so much around 1850 with the introduction of the telegraph and the railroad that you could take a businessman yes you <laughs> you you could not take a businessman from 1840 and scoot him forward to 1860 he would be lost but you could take that same businessman from 1840 and move him back 300 years and he'd be just fine. Wow. Nothing had really changed. But from 1840 to 1860, everything changed because of the telegraph and the railroad. And it just it's just a matter of coming to see some of that that you kind of puts a lot of this in context. So Lynn says, is Jesus' healing of physical illnesses Heaven coming here on earth as a preview of how the new heaven will be when Jesus comes back. Yes. So, um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this just a bit in the last week. I think many of us were brought up thinking to use these words when we talk about heaven, that 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 the day's going to come when Jesus is going to take us home to heaven. But that's not, that, that's not the biblical view. Jesus brings home to us. That's the new heavens and the new earth of Revelation 21 and 22. We're not taking, Jesus doesn't take us home anywhere. He brings home to us. And in this world, described in Revelation 21 and 22, which are completely dependent on the Old Testament prophets. It's a world filled with, in which pain and mourning and tears are gone. In which people, you know, sit under fig trees and speak peace and shape their spears into pruning hooks all that all that language that's describing a world a physical world um, that will one day be our renewed restored home as God's resurrected people and so Jesus is helping them to see that because that is their expectation you see their expectation is if you're a Jew in the first century the day is coming when God will do God's big thing. Well, what's in that? God's big thing is what? 
the resurrection of the dead, the world put right, kick out the damn Romans, darn Romans, <laughs> um, get rid of the corrupt priests, things are put right, 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 right. Well, that's what Jesus brings. And the resurrection is the evidence and the proof for it. Now, as it turns out, that world is both present and coming here already and not yet. But um, those Jewish expectations is what Jesus is speaking to them about. The time is fulfilled. Well, what time is that? What time is fulfilled? The time of waiting until God does God's big thing. That's what's fulfilled. Okay, so. Let's just do one more little bit. It's 410, but let's just go a little further. So, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's what Jesus does so often. He leaves the crowds, for whom he has much compassion, but he goes off to a solitary, quiet, now darkened place um, to pray. To be in communion with the Father in a way that he really can't be with the crowds around him, demanding things all the time. Verse 36, so what happens? Jesus goes off to pray, and then Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you! So Jesus said, and I kind of think with maybe a, at least a half a sigh early in the morning there, sort of, all right. Well, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. They need to hear the good news. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. This driving out demons, demonstrating not only preaching that the kingdom of God has come, not only preaching with authority, but demonstrating his authority, demonstrating that the kingdom of God is at hand, because in the kingdom of God, the time of Satan is past, you see. The time of Satan and the demons is past. In the book of Revelation, Satan is like a caged animal, free to roam around the planet now, but that time will pass. And when that time passes, Satan and all of his dominions are all of his minions are gone in the book of Revelation. This is the same idea, because the book of Revelation, of course, is a very Jewish writing. Um, so, so it's begun for Jesus now, and he's preaching with authority, teaching with authority, casting out demons, doing healings, enacting the kingdom of God. It's all begun. And uh, when we come back next week, we'll come to some longer stories of these healings. One with a man, one healing a man with leprosy, and then a story about a guy who is 
in big trouble health-wise and has very, very devoted friends. Very devoted friends. The kind of friends everybody wants to have. So, anyway, we'll do that next Monday. So, anybody got anything while Patty's making her way over here? Well, let's see. There's there's comment here. I, my 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 little comment thing doesn't roll up automatically. Mine was not either today, so I do apologize to anybody. I was getting some comments on my phone and some on my laptop, my desktop, but they were all weren't coming in together. So. Yes, and so Linda Waldo's just also commenting on on fevers and medical differences between. I mean, people got sick then for the same reason people get sick now. Now we can be more help. Now we actually have like antibiotics. Yes. Which we did not have a hundred years ago. Years ago. Isn't that something? Nineteen twenty-seven for penicillin. That's really amazing to me. That's just like astounding to me. Just think how long ago people didn't have clean, clean water, clean drinking water, and how many places still don't have clean they drinking still don't water. Don't have clean drinking water. Yeah. It's clean drinking water that revolutionized. Um, life expectancies, yep. span of life. So anyway, okay. Even, uh, I'm just thinking right now, um, a little plug for our mission in Costa Rica of these people and um, wonderful people that we have this relationship and it's 2023 and they're still cooking indoors with no ventilation. All right, so we and give them those elevens and merely better better ventilation will save lives down yes. there. Yes. Yeah, it absolutely. Is, it, it's astounding, something that is so so simple and um we're so grateful at saint andrew we have so many wonderful people um jennifer hal kurkowski and all of the people that have volunteered with him to go on these mission trips to costa rica as they have for the last whatever 10 or 15 years right see it's 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 like nobody now uses lead paint right right but if you go back to Jesus's day and you go back to the Roman pipes and all, it's all lead. Yes. And you were like, what did that do to people? Yes. Well, it wasn't good, right. right? But they just didn't know. They didn't know. Yep. But now we do. Yep. Want to pray us? I sure home, do. baby. Glad everybody was here with us today. Yeah. Um, so glad on this Easter Monday because remember we are Easter people and Jesus, Jesus is still risen. He's. He's alive. He's alive. He's we can alive. study Napoleon, but when we study Napoleon, he's dead. He's dead. He's not around anymore. But dead, dead, and dead, dead, dead and dead. dead. But Jesus, you see, when we, when we strive to know Jesus, he still lives. He's still alive. Yeah. Sure, um, you should write a song like that. You think so? <laughs> All righty. Um, <laughs> thank you again, everybody, for being with us. We hope you'll catch uh, Scott tomorrow teaching. Um, from Book of Samuel, we're still in First Samuel. We're coming up on great stories. Yeah, it's the anointing great... tomorrow. Tomorrow's the anointing, the anointing of David. So it's it's big, good stuff, Mem memorable stories. Good stuff that you know. So, <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful Easter Monday. We thank you, God, for this time that we could get together as Christians and study Your Word, Lord, and um, just. Just know a little bit more about your son, Jesus, the greatest gift God that any of us ever received. We pray today for the people in St. Louis, St. Louis, 
and um, Louis. Oh, Louisville. That's right. Louisville. It's not St. Louis. Lord, you know we are. Please pray for the people in Saint, <laughs> in, in Louisville too, and St. Louis, Lord, as this tragedy again, you know, struck many families the morning after they celebrated Easter together with their family and their loved ones. Lord, we pray for those who have lost people today, God, and we pray for those that are in surgeries today, those that are recovering right now, Lord, we pray, God, that we know you are a healing God, and we pray, God, for your, just your healing on those, God, that need it the most today. You are a great God. You are just an awesome God, and you're so faithful to us, Lord. We lift up all these prayers today, and we pray them all in his name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Adios, and We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your Monday. That's right. Bye. Bye-bye.